What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Christian Unger on the line. I saw him on Instagram. He's jacked. He's huge. He's keto. Whenever I find somebody like that, I got to get him on the show because the more people we bring out into the space to dispel the rumors of you cannot build muscle on keto, the better. So without further ado, how are you, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I am doing wonderfully well, wonderfully well. So give me and the audience a little, I don't know that much about you, honestly. So give me, give me some background and kind of like a bio on what brings you to keto and, and lifting and just kind of what got you into the fitness and wellness space in the first place, man. All right. Well, a little bit of a story, but uh, grew up playing. Uh, I was three sport athlete from the time uh, elementary school up until high school, mainly football, wrestling, and uh, baseball. Uh, se- senior year of, I believe, senior year and junior year of high school, I started getting more into the actual training behind the sport, and I started to fall in love with the the training and less of the sport. <laughs> and then uh, going forward, I played a year of college football at a small college in Maryland. And once again, once again, there I was still mainly just I I love the the weight room aspect of it compared to the the actual sport. And uh, after pretty uh, pretty bad concussions, I had to, I transferred to the University of South Carolina, and that is where I finished my bachelor's degree. And just it the it just spiraled up from there. Just continued getting more and more into it. And what uh, what originally brought me into keto and following keto was following the likes of you, uh, Danny Vega, uh, Dr. Jacob Wilson, Ryan Lowry, and all them. Just I had, I had dieted for a bodybuilding show. And after the, I lost, I went from 262 to around 193 over 18 weeks. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of it, I was started dealing with a lot of stomach and IBS and IBD issues. And the nurse practitioner I went to actually recommended a ketogenic diet uh, to help ward off her, the stomach issues. Cause (laughs) lo and behold, she was, she did an MPC show as well and dieted and had similar stomach issues. So then that's how she helped herself get out. I wish I would have known her name (laughs) because I've I've been following ketogenic diet now eight months, going going on and just originally I I thought what most people think that yeah it's it, this diet is a bunch of crap uh, it it has way too many benefits to like be true but lo and behold here I am eight months later and still still going strong I absolutely love it and currently doing my master's degree in exercise and nutrition science at the University of Tampa and in the process of applying to PhD programs where I would love to look more into the diet and mechanisms behind the diet. Awesome, man. There's like so many different so many different directions we could take this. But what about uh, so time frame wise, when when was it that you dieted down for that show? That was uh December December 1st was the uh, day 1 and then 18 weeks later landed me I want to say it was at eight, late April, I believe. Of which year? Uh last year, 2018. Year? Yes, sir. Last year. And you did the show? Yep. I I did the show, but I have regrets about the last two weeks because I, I started mm-hmm. to change too too many variables and I came in a little a little bloated and watery and did not get to truly show off what <laughs> what I'd worked for. So next next show I'm definitely going a one hundred percent ketogenic approach. <laughs> this is interesting, man. I want to dive into this because there's not a whole lot of I mean I I've had guests on that have just recently done a show with keto, like former clients of mine, and that have either never done a show in the past with carbs or have done one, but not recently. So mm-hmm. you having done one pretty recently, I'd love to get your perspective on what that last, like probably honestly like the last four to six weeks is like in a prep from like a, from a, we can go into details, man, like what your macros were like, how you felt. Let's just kind of flesh out so we can do like a, a comparison almost of what it's like uh, with carbs versus keto. I, looking back at the time, I, my, my last, uh, last six to eight weeks where I was sitting around two, 200 grams of protein, uh, 80 to 140 carbs and around, it was seven to 80 fat. And little did I know at the time I was, I could tell <laughs> looking back, I could tell when I was going in and out of ketosis based on the amount of, uh, card, cardio and like effort I was putting in on the timing of the carbohydrates. But, the last eight weeks are absolutely terrible. Like I, I learned so much during that time phase, but I do not regret how I felt mentally, physically, 
just my, my family, friends, everybody noticed like they, there's a complete mindset change. The, the benefit was I pretty much secluded myself from everybody. So I, I managed to read 10 books over the time period of prep <laughs> due, mm -hmm. due, to the due to the dieting and feeling absolutely awful. But I just, it, it's rough for anybody who's looking to do one. It's, it's inter interesting you say that, man, because <clears throat> the first show I ever did, I, I did everything wrong and I followed a carb-based approach and it was just total mental, physical, emotional misery. But similar to, to sounding what, what you said is you, you do that and it's like you gain such a greater perspective of what your mind is capable of. And even though you would never want to do it like that technically, again, going forward, you're glad you did it that first time that way because it gives you that, that increase in perspective. Uh, 100%. And like now knowing what I know, I would do a ketogenic approach and pretty much do something similar to what you did. And instead of titrating down fat, actually titrate down protein because the muscle sparing effects of ketones, et cetera. And like being able to function mentally while dieting down on low calories, I feel like it would be so much easier with a ketogenic approach. Yeah, so that's the thing, man. A lot of people think um, that, you know, when you take your protein that low, because I took mine down to 65 grams, which is like unheard of for a bodybuilder. Um, but when you're that low, it's not like a, a long-term thing. Like you're only that low for a very short window in the grand scheme of things. And that low protein contributes to a greater increase in ketones because the fat ratio is higher. So you're in a more anti-catabolic state than you would be if the protein was higher. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And a lot of people, they'd be scared to do that. But if we're looking at the big picture, we're probably, we're probably already losing a little bit of muscle mass from like being in a, such a big deficit. But the, the beneficial effects of the ketones, like preserving muscle mass, but I believe in the, in the long run, it's negligible and would offset anything. Totally 100% agree, man. And, and people don't think about that because they're always just concerned about like the, the macro of, oh my gosh, my protein's so low, I'm losing everything and could not be farther from the truth. Plus, like you said, you feel and function mentally much better. So, if, I mean, you're going to be hungry either way. But just simply having the, the mental cognition and, and not walking around like a zombie there is going to be a, a game changer. Yeah, be, being able to function, especially that was my, se that was my senior year of uh, undergrad. And the last couple tests, like it was a sharp decrease in some of the scores that I, looking back, but I, I managed to finish out. But it, it was definitely not easy. I wish I, I wish I would have known what I know now, but I am extremely like, appreciative of how I did it and what I learned from it. Because as I finished the show, I was like, oh, I'm never doing one of these again. But like eight weeks later, my first thought was like, I, I want to do another one. Like I, I, there's some unfinished business and I, I have a much better approach now. What, what did you do the last two weeks? You said that you kind of you put on some water retention there towards the end. It didn't really showcase your definition. What, what did you manipulate that led to that? I, the, the last 24 hours was a very, I made some very poor choices, but leading up to it, I, I, I just started manipulating too much stuff. I tried to do, I tried to do like, it was three weeks out and I tried to titrate up carbs and like see how it looked like full, a little filled up. And I liked how it looked. And then I got to the show week and obviously stress was high. Everything else was high, but I was overweight for light heavyweight. I was weighing in at around 199, 200. So the day before mm -hmm. I fast, I fasted and just de deprived myself food and water. And I, I managed to weigh in under, I think it's 198 for light heavyweight. And then I proceeded to try to fit my six meals that I did skipped and all those macros into a short time period leading like from, uh. fr from the weigh in at 6 PM to the, I, the 9 AM show. And I, I was waking up at like, I woke up every like two hours at 1 AM, 3 AM, 5 AM to get in the meals, but it was just too much for my stomach to handle. And I, I have pictures from the show and then three hours after the, sh after the morning show and the, the difference was huge. I, it, was, it was extremely frustrating at the time. Yeah, man, there's nothing worse than putting in so much work and effort and discipline and, and then like tweaking something wrong, even though something like small and it, it just causes such a drastic change in how you look and peak for that given moment. And then you're just like filled with, I don't want to say regret, but kind of regret because it's like, oh man, if I had just done that one thing differently, I, I would have, I would have been able to showcase myself much better. Yeah, like I, I just, I remember being terribly upset, and it was, it was definitely rough after eight, eighteen weeks losing around sixty pounds, going from, I started at twenty eight percent body fat, and the lowest I ever had recorded was, I believe, six point five percent, 
which I definitely could have been, mm. a li- I, I should have been a little bit leaner, but it, it was just, it was extremely frustrating, like seeing the pictures just improve over that time period and then getting to show day and making a couple tweaks and errors and then re- regretting it later. Going forward, what would you do differently? Obviously, you said you take a ketogenic approach, but what does that look like for you? Obviously, keeping the, the protein a little lower, manipulating that. Um, would you do like a longer prep or about the same length or what other variables would you change? I would probably do a shorter prep and just I, I'm pretty happy with like where I'm sitting at now leading up to it. I would probably diet a little bit, but then do more of a shorter, slightly drastic approach and then just dr- drop drop the protein pretty low, keep carbs minimal to none and just focus on the, the fat to keep me functioning while while putting in the effort. Man, it's honestly super interesting to see how less or how how little you really have to manipulate with a ketogenic diet when well formulated for a contest prep. Like I definitely tweak things towards the end with like the refeeds and whatnot, the keto refeeds, but you don't have to do any crazy manipulations with water or, you know, your electrolytes. And that's where a lot of people miscalculate. And that's that's when a lot of that water retention comes into play. But if you can just bypass all that, like the less you have to manipulate going into a show, the better. Because like if you haven't done it, you know, for the the four or five months that you've been prepping, why would you want to introduce all these new changes and variables? And I don't know, a lot of people mess that up there at the end. Yeah, no, that's definitely where I, I came across because I, I prepped myself pretty much along with the help of one of my friends. And we just after reading so many different strategies and approaches for carbs, water, salt, what to manipulate, what not to change, what to change. There's 18 different ways to skin a cat when you're on a, a, a carb-based diet. But ketogenic, I just feel like it's it's simpler. 100%, man. 100%. And it makes it more sustainable and more fun because you're not killing yourself and you don't have to do all kinds of crazy changes. Yeah, exactly. So what about what about post-show, man? Do you have like a, a really bad rebound, put on like 20 pounds overnight? I actually – I only put on about 10 to 15, but it, the the night of the show, I I definitely struggle with some binge eating post, like post-show. And I mm-hmm. – that that's one of the main reasons that led me into the a ketogenic diet. I, I posted about that today on my Instagram. Just I struggled with binge eating and just eating, gorging myself because I, I can put down eight to ten thousand calories in a single meal. I've always been able to eat a lot, mm-hmm. but after the show, I ate so much where I I got to the point of physically ill that evening. And I remember just laying in bed, sweating, just absolutely dying. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, man, I can totally relate with you. It's weird because people that have never done that, they are like. What do you mean you couldn't stop eating? Like, what does that even look like? You know, but when you've done that, your leptin and ghrelin hormones are so beyond jacked up that there is literally no signal to your brain saying, hey, I'm full, stop eating. And you just continue to eat. And like, I'm pretty sure I put down, you know, over 10,000 calories easily on that first night after my first show as well. And I literally laid in the bathtub with no water, just in the empty bathtub, like could not puke could not use the bathroom, could not do anything. I just was miserable for hours all night long. Yep. I, I spent about four hours in the bathroom by myself, just sweating and feeling absolutely terrible, unable to puke because I just, I can't do that apparently. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it's weird how the body responds. So I'm curious, man, you, you've got a, a really good foundation in, you know, exercise science, all the stuff you're doing there. What do you think the reasoning is for why your body this is not much more exercise science as it is like just nutrition and, and biomechanics, but what, what do you think your reasoning is for why you had the IBS and everything happening there towards the end with the carb-based approach? Uh, this may be a long shot, but le- leading up to the show, I, was, I did not eat healthy whatsoever. I was on a seafood, eat food diet. I, like, I was downing. Mm-hmm. I, it was kind of disgusting what I would eat at the time looking back because I got to the point just like ice cream, pizza, burritos, tacos. I sat down one night and I remember this cheat meal very fondly because it was a large Domino's pizza, a box of Pop-Tarts, a, bar, a box of fudge rounds, so two things, a halo top and just a, and some dark chocolate to top it off. But I had never really noticed like any stomach or inflammation be just because I was constantly inflamed and dealing with issues. And also growing up, I was on a couple uh, uh, antibiotics for acne. And medication, long, mm-hmm. I long long term use of that, and I suppose that did play a role as well as I 
definitely abused some ibuprofen and NSAIDs growing up playing football because due to the concussion issues. So I think it was a culmination of just a the going from the poor diet to a really restrictive healthy diet and then also the antibiotics and NSAID abuse growing up. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can I can see that for sure. I mean, I had really bad acne too, so I was taking like docucycline and minocycline. I'm assuming that's probably the same thing you were on. Yep, I was uh, on a couple things. Just I, just growing up, looking back, I wish I would have never taken it after learning. Yeah, yeah, about me this. too, man. I think, yeah, I think honestly, if I had just stayed keto or been keto when I was a kid, I probably wouldn't even had acne. Yeah, no, I, right. I know, I notice my skin is so much clearer now than it ever has been, just with a ketogenic diet and focus on high high quality food. Hundred percent. That that <laughs> this is off on a tangent right now, but that alone should be motivation for kids to eat healthy when they start going out of the parents' house. Is just rev- like eat healthy, be keto, and then you won't get the acne. I no, mean, that alone exactly. would, would have been a game changer for me. <laughs> exactly, and and I actually I got my mom to start following a ketogenic diet, and she's noticed the the same thing. Like skin's a lot clearer, less inflammation, just feeling overall better. I love it. I love it. So so we had the. We both had like the the antibiotics for that. That makes sense. And then I also was eating just like obscene amounts of just crap food, man. Like I look back on what I was eating, and I would do an entire brownie mix covered in almond butter and syrup, and then I would have a pizza before that, like a full large pizza to myself before that, and that would be like my norm, man. Like a whole bunch of I would eat a whole box of cereal at night, and then it's funny because yeah, it wouldn't. I mean, it wouldn't even fill you up really. Yeah, it and it's not even like it was just a cheat meal. It was just the normal, like large pizzas were my three times, four times a week just eating. Like that, it wasn't like a a treat. It was just day to day life. Yeah, and see, I think it's funny you say that because I mean, you and I both did that, and then there's so many other bodybuilders specifically that do that same thing. So it's got my my wheels spinning right now. I think that is, I man, a lot of people do that. Obviously, not you don't have to be a bodybuilder to do that, but I think it's common in the bodybuilding space. Because, I mean, our, our our body looks, you know, fit from the outside. So we just assume, I guess we just assume we can get away with anything. And then we can we can get away with eating those obscene amounts of food. That combined with the fact that in the bodybuilding industry and community, the idea of, you know, eat everything you can just to get big is, is running rampant. So I don't know, like we, we've not been set up with a successful formula for long-term health, basically. Yeah, and I understand like where they came from, like the eat big, get big. You got to eat everything, but that you can't apply that to everybody because if I did not track my food and just ate ad libitum keto or not keto, I I would be overweight. Like I just have an insatiable ad- appetite, and I <laughs> I've always been able to down a lot of food. So gr- growing up and wanting and being like in high school football and be like, hey Christian, you need to be two hundred twenty pounds to play middle linebacker. I was like, okay, coach, just I'm I'm going to eat until I get there. And getting to that point, just continually just eating everything. Just I definitely was not healthy on the inside. And I even have some uh, blood work from when I was 260 pounds. And then I'm comparing it to more current blood work and just comparing the hemoglobin A1C, fasting, blood glucose, triglycerides, comparing all that is it's just a huge change. What what do you was I mean, was that that show and that, you know, noticing that you had the IP, IBS, was that like the the tipping point for you where you're like, okay, this, this has got to change. Was it like the single most tipping? Or was that like the point in time where all that shift occurred? Yeah, just the, I, that during that show, that time period, that was when I really just put a lot of effort into nutrition and started loving nutrition. But after the show, towards the end, when I was dealing with the uh, stomach issues, that was the final straw that led me to, I, I'm putting 110% effort into nutrition and now following a ketogenic diet. And you, you mentioned that you'd heard, you know, myself, Danny went on on the podcast, but what made you look for towards keto, you know, coming off of that carb-based diet? Like, was there a book or a specific podcast or anything that led you down that path to begin with? I just, uh, I thought I mentioned earlier, just the, the nurse, the nurse practitioner I went to for IBS and IBD. Oh, yeah, she yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, she, she actually recommended it. And then I'm one of the people who, if I find an interest in something, I learn and research the it to death essentially so like that then that just sent me down the the rabbit hole and uh, researching what you've done what Danny's done anybody and everybody who's who is a significant like figurehead in the in the realm of keto just I I tried to learn everything I possibly could 
Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's right. You totally had mentioned it. Shout out to the nurse practitioner for sure. Yeah, don't don't know her name, but she, she I'm thankful for her. <laughs> so so now that you've been keto for eight months, man, what are some things that you noticed from like a performance standpoint with the training? Because there are so many misconceptions about one's ability to not only maintain muscle mass, but build muscle mass coming out of a carbohydrate dependent diet. What have what have you noticed there? The first couple months it did my strength did drop a little bit. I was feeling a little run down. But like that that was only about two months. And then in August, which would have been probably about three, two to three months in, I that was when mm-hmm. everything start everything started to pick back up. I started feeling good. And then as of the last three months, I've been I've been hitting a good amount of PRs and just feeling great. If anything, uh I haven't I haven't had to change much of anything regarding training because I've always been more of a a low rep type of indi- individual, not a not a huge proponent of higher reps. I, I like to keep the intensity mm-hmm. pretty high, but uh, just I feel like my recovery is better, and I I feel like a couple people have noticed that as well too. But just not haven't had to change much of anything. Just a lot of I am a proponent of a huge amount of sodium. I will say that. How much sodium you take in a day? I I do about six to eight grams. Oh wow, quite a bit. I, I've always been. Are a, you increasing your potassium at all too, or just your sodium? Yeah, I, I do supplement with some potassium and potassium magnesium, but uh, just I've always been a sweaty person, so like I I always feel I can notice at any day where I, my sodium's a little bit off. I found like a lot of a lot of the people I've worked with and just kind of self experimentation alone, like your body's got an equilibrium with you know your water your salt your potassium so if 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 one of those pillars is off it's going to cause you know like the headaches muscle cramps you know keto flu like symptoms but i've noticed that your body can reestablish that equilibrium at different levels so to speak so you can reset everything at you know 2000 milligrams of sodium you could reset everything at 4000 milligrams or 8000 milligrams but there's like a transition period in which while your body's adjusting and acclimating to that you you tend to gain some water retention, lose water retention, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have any kind of, I mean, do you just like recommend jumping in and, and kind of titrating up as you go and seeing I, what you respond well to? I would definitely say titrate up because during prep is when I started experimenting with a lot of, a lot of sodium, thanks to uh, the gentleman who wrote the salt fix. I can't remember his name right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, um, he recommended a just, for working out and health and fitness. And that was when I started experimenting and I had a lot of water retention the first week. I, I shot up about 10 pounds during prep and that's kind of a mental struggle when you're in the middle of a diet and your weight's going up. Yeah. But, uh, after that, it, it pretty much, it, it took about a week and then I, I've been around at least five five grams a day pretty much going forward. So when you were at a, a lower sodium intake but still taking in sodium, like say I don't know two or three thousand gram milligrams, um, and now you're at the the five, six, seven, eight uh, gram range. What what has changed with regard to? Because I mean, in, in theory, your le- equilibrium point would have been set, set in solid at that lower intake, and now it's set in solid at the higher intake. Have you noticed just better recovery or more like a, a better muscle contraction while training? Or what what are some specifics? Uh, specifically, following like. Following a ketogenic diet and going low carb, I have noticed a lot of benefits for working out and like getting a pump essentially in the gym. Because anytime I'm under under that magic amount of around five grams, just I can tell in the gym the contraction is great. Can't can't get a pump. Just not not feeling on top of it. So I I, I supplement now about a gram a gram every like about thirty minutes before every workout. Really, just in your water. In my water or like in, in a little bit of pre-workout and caffeine. Man, a gram of salt in your pre-workout is going to be potent. It, it definitely does not taste the best, but I, I'm more of a, it, if it works, it works. I'm, I'll suffer for the taste. Yeah, I'm gonna, I've actually been wanting to play around with this because I've I found where, I mean, right now I'm taking in about 4,000 milligrams, so four grams and about two grams of potassium. So I'm doing like a, Four to, or a two to one ratio, rather. Um, but I'd be curious to titrate up and see if there's like a tipping point at which I notice my pumps. I get pretty good pumps now, 
but I'm curious if I can tell it a noticeable difference with that increase. Because if I, I mean, if I jumped up, if I doubled that, you know, I'd probably jump to six grand or yeah, 6,000 milligrams first. But this, this is interesting, man, because a lot of people, this is a classic example of how people can benefit from, you know, self-experimentation because there's going to be some water retention. It's just inevitable. But if you're okay that, and embrace it and kind of tweak things, you'll be able to see the benefit on the other side. Yeah, and I had to I had to play with it at first. I had no clue what I was doing in in the beginning. There was one day I miscalculated uh, salt to sodium, so I was around. I, I did the math later, and it was around fifteen grams of sodium because I I messed up some math. Math has never been my strong suit, but <laughs> that 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 was when i had the really bad bloating like i even my friends were like what happened like i had swelling everywhere it was it was, it was a rough one but it after i learned that sodium and salt were different it, it it was an easy fix i made the same mistake man i read that it was about 500 milligrams of sodium per quarter teaspoon of pink himalayan salt mm-hmm. and then i i don't know what i did but i i calculated everything based off of a tablespoon instead of a teaspoon Yep, <laughs> and that screwed me over pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's Not something you like you just. I'm pretty like methodical regarding numbers, but that that one just slipped my mind. I did not take that into account. How much water are you drinking today? I that I actually do not track. That one's more just drink to I drink the thirst. But if I'd estimate it'd be between uh, ninety to one hundred forty ounces a day. Perfect. Yeah, I always recommend people kind of have like a floor at about ninety ounces. I tried tracking it at one point, but it it just I didn't feel like it was helping me at all knowing exactly how much water I drank and especially like I work a pretty like physical based job now, so like I just drink drink to thirst. Makes sense for sure. Let's dive into some of the actual training, man. Like what uh you said you like to keep the reps pretty low. What what kind of rep and set scheme are you generally using? I for con like the, the big compound movements, I'm usually around under eight eight reps. I don't Squat bench deadlift, I don't really like going above that. On the accessories and supporting exercises like dumbbell movements and rows and machine-based stuff, I, I go a little 8, eight to probably 15, but uh, I'm not not a huge rep person. Unless it, the one thing I have noticed that reps has done a lot for me is my arms recently as the last – since I've been following a ketogenic diet, I was like, hey, I'm going to put some emphasis on my arms, and I've put on about a three-quarters of an inch in the last six months. And that that was just from high high volume, high frequency. Very nice. So when you say high frequency, like three times a week? I I've been hitting them about yeah three three to four, and just depending mm-hmm. on the the training schedule that week. Have you ever played around with blood flow restriction training? I have done it, and I'm a I'm definitely a proponent of it. I I love it for quads more than arms because I'm a a leg dominant individual. Just tying mm-hmm. some I I use some. Uh, like cheaper knee wraps and wrap around the mm-hmm. pretty high up around my hip. And then just, I, I did, I've done sissy squats, leg extensions, leg press, but just some barbell squats with like 95 to 135 slow and high reps that it will, it will make a, a child out of anybody. So um, when you're doing that high reps, are you doing what, like 20 or 30 reps? Yeah, I if if I'm doing a BFR, it's a, it's around twenty to twenty to twenty five reps, but before it's just unbearable and you fatigue. Yeah, see, I I love I've never done it. I, I need to. I had somebody else on the podcast and we were talking about it, and I haven't dove into it yet. Um, but the concept really intrigues me. Like just simply engorging the muscles full of blood, causing that you know stress response from the muscles in that regard, but then also just driving more nutrients into the muscle. Um. And just getting a killer pump, man. If it seems very plus, like you, it's a really good way to avoid injury. Like if what I would like to start doing is incorporating a scheduled deload into my training every, oh, I don't know, sixth week or so. But then obviously not training, not avoiding training, but you know, lowering the weight, um, and then doing like a BFR style on a lot of the compound movements so that I'm getting a high, high blood flow stimulation there, um, but not really risking injury at all. At 100%. I, I, I incorporate it now when my knees are feeling a little banged up and I do want to get the like hypertrophy response and having the metabolite build up in the blood and in the muscle. And the the hypertrophy for BFR match to non-BFR is a- equivalent and it's so much less stress. And if we're talking about longevity in the, in the weight room, I 
definitely support BFR. It's good for like traveling too, man. Like you can take, you know, like a like some bands with you when you're traveling and you'd probably be able to get I don't know, I, it's hard for me to say as good a workout, but at least a, a good enough stimulation to maintain while you're on the road, which I'm I'm going to be doing a lot this year, so I'm I'm curious to do that. And then I don't know, have you seen these X3 bars? Have you know anybody that's used those? I am not familiar with those. Let me look that up real quick. It's like a resistance band uh, thing that's got like a, a bar. You put the band on the bar and there's like a platform you could stand on. So, you know, imagine doing like a, a curl with the bar with you standing on the platform. Um, okay, it's basically yeah. just fancy resistance band. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at it now. Yeah, I, I have not seen that. But uh, even be, if you want a quick leg workout, wrap some knee wraps around your, your upper quads and a lunge a quarter of a mile I, i've done that a couple times and when i'm short on time for a to get in a true leg workout and it will you'll you'll have a pretty great leg pump yeah is that's the thing a lot of people assume that they they just like when they go traveling or they can't work out or they're sick or for whatever reason they can't train normally they just feel like they're gonna lose everything but if you just simply stimulate the muscle and get the blood flowing like you're not gonna wither away yeah and even for me just one one thing i did not utilize enough like uh, growing up and continuing in health and fitness has just been sprint work that is one of my mm -hmm. emphasis now because it is just it, it's way more anabolic than just doing steady state cardio but it, it, you can get so much done in such a short period of time the the roi is just unbeatable so let's, let's dive into that man because i don't ever do sprints so convince me to do sprints like what would be your elevator pitch on sprints basically there's a couple studies comparing the sprint work to steady state and the the equivalent i think it was it was like four to six sprints uh 20 20 30 yards just was the equivalent of like 45 to 60 minutes of steady state and then also just the explosiveness and the carryover into the gym to your compound movements if you want to like work on squats deadlifts etc just it sprinting it's it's simple easy to, you can do it anywhere and when you're short on time i'll I'll do about eight thirty thirty to forty yard sprints with about a minute and a half rest and then i'll call the day i'm absolutely wiped after that so basically like a hit routine with sprints uh, yeah depending on what i want to emphasize if i'm emphasizing more of the cardio aspect or like training for speed i'll i'll, I'll manipulate the rest times i do think being explosive from time to time is, is hugely advantageous i mean I'll, I'll try and cycle through my my compound movements and, and do like you know one week for squats for instance would be explosive you know coming up out of the hole with the bar the next week would be like a higher rep hypertrophy then the next week would be like a really heavy you know low rep um you know, strength building program almost but cycling that and adding that explosive work in i think is huge because it, it targets an incredibly different you know, set of muscle fibers that most people aren't going to be engaging unless they're doing some type of explosive work. It, exactly. So you pretty much train this this similar way that I do. I'll have I'll have three the three different days. What one's more power, one strength, and one's hypertrophy. Basically, daily undulating periodization, and I'll I'll rotate mm -hmm. that rotate that uh, pretty much three three times for three weeks, and then a fourth week would be a a slight deload, and then just repeat. I I think it's the a pretty simple and easy way to train and hit a little bit of everything. Do you change and deviate much from that, or is that kind of like your bread and butter? That is my bread and butter for the last three years now. It's it, it's I do a modified version of if anybody if any bodybuilding fans out there, Neil Hill. Uh, I do, it's a, like mm -hmm. it's a modified his Y three T program, and I I like the program majority of my stuff, so I never follow any other programs. I always change a good bit of it, but like. The main principles behind what I do is is based off mainly his program. Y three T standing for what? I I actually don't know the probably the explosive hypertrophy and strength. I would I would guess I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure the actual abbreviate. I don't know why it's Y three T, but it just I've always been a fan of just having an a different emphasis on each each day. Just if I want to hit legs three three times over the course of 10 days one day will be a power day working in the 40 to 60 percent uh one rm one day will be a strength and 75 to 85 percent one rm and won't be hypertrophy right around 65 to 75 percent so what do you think about um like frequency in training as it relates to 
like a natural bodybuilder versus, versus like a everybody wants to compare natural versus an enhanced bodybuilder. Um, but as far as frequency goes, do you think, because like most bodybuilder splits, and the only reason I say this about like steroids, but like most people that are picking up a, a bodybuilding magazine at the grocery store and looking at the split routine is, is made up by somebody that's, you know, an IFBB pro bodybuilder is on the juice and they're training one body part a week or sometimes even a week and a half oftentimes, but they'll spend like two, two and a half hours on that body part. Whereas like a lot of natural bodybuilders, you see, you know, much more frequency throughout the course of a week. They might hit that same muscle two or three times, but spend much less time on a given muscle. What's your take on that? Uh, that's a tricky one, but uh, if we're talking just if we're talking hypertrophy, the single most determining factor is, is volume, and it, you're right. A lot of the programs written in like by the IFBB pros and people copying that with the once a week split is just it's two to three hours of just destroying that one body part and then not doing it again. But if we're coming from a naturals uh, a natural athlete perspective, I would definitely say frequency plays a bigger role because you can get in. A little, you can get in more quality volume, in my opinion. I'd rather, I, I, whenever I, whenever, like, I'm a personal trainer on the side, and whenever I program for other people, I, I prioritize full body days, compound movements, put push pull legs. It's a simple but works. There's, I'd, I'd rather see a little mm -hmm. bit more, I'd rather see a little bit more frequency than just having, like, oh, I'm gonna hit chest on Monday, but I'm not gonna hit it again till the next Monday. If muscle protein synthesis peaks and spikes before that next time you hit it, I, I feel like you can you can get away with two to three times a week just manipulating volume a little bit so you're fully recovered, but stimulating it just enough. Yeah, especially with keto, man, because like with the anti-inflammatory effect of keto, it's like you, I mean, in the past when I would train with a carb-heavy approach, you know, my, I would do squats, for instance, then my knees would be wrecked for like the next five days. And then I have to like psych myself up to go do legs again. Whereas now I can legitimately do like today I did legs today and I was, uh, you know, doing heavy legs. I would feel totally fine in going in there and doing the same workout tomorrow. And I don't feel like I would have any suffering in my performance. Now it's probably not the best thing for, you know, hypertrophy to go day after the next, but I feel like I would be able to do so just fine without any kind of adverse response from my knees. Yeah. 100%. Like if, since I've been following the ketogenic diet, like I, I usually have knee issues every every year around the time it gets cold. Uh, luckily in Tampa, Florida, mm -hmm. right? Luckily Tampa, Florida, it doesn't get cold. But I this past year has been the least amount of inflammation issues I've had joint wise. And I will I'll directly say that I I believe it's due to following a ketogenic diet and the the beneficial effects of beta hydroxybutyrate, acetone, acetate, all of the ketones. But just the the benefits of just being able to train multiple times a week and not feel terrible and once you leave the gym i i think it's a a pretty large benefit of following this type of diet 100 percent, man are you supplementing with any beta hydroxybutyrate exogenously i i do supplement with i'll, I'll use i use two types of MC, mct oil one's a a caprylic and capric acid blend and then one's just a caprylic acid and i'll i'll vary that and then i also do like using some exogenous ketones i'll take I'll take them occasionally before tests, actually, and then as well as uh, just occasional workouts. I don't, I don't believe in, I don't believe anybody should supplement that like daily. I don't, I think that's a waste. MCT oil you can you can do daily because it's just boosting endogenously produced ketones. But for, if we're talking exogenous ketones, I just don't think that like a day to day use of them would be that great. But uh, intermittent use, I definitely think it it has some benefits. When you do use them, are you? Are you tallying that sodium and mineral load that's in those to your daily intake of salt, or is that is that an, in addition to I, that? That is added into the the total daily uh, salt, and I, I definitely look at magnesium because my, I'm a huge proponent of magnesium supplementation for everybody. How much of that you get in a day? Um, I shoot for about four hundred to six hundred. I have four hundred is supplemented through magnesium glycinate, and then if I have an, an avocado or anything, that'll be the extra. Gotcha. Are you just using like that magnesium calm powder? I yeah, I actually bought a, a I believe it's bulk supplements. They sell a powdered magnesium glycinate because it's at, for being a college student. I'm on a budget. It was actually cheaper than the pills, and I got around a hundred grams for like twelve, twelve or eleven dollars. And just I I'll mix that in. Yep. I'll mix that in with a drink, and it doesn't taste the best, but I, it gets the job done.
Yeah, man, bulk supplements is the way to go for like cheap stuff. It's like really good quality too. No, ex- exactly. Like even even when I do uh, like when I occasionally use protein powder, I try not to because st- stomach issues with it. But when I do supplement with protein powder, I'll get a. This is not a plug for the brand because I'm not associated with them. But True Nutrition, you can get seventy mm-hmm. serv- seventy servings. It's uh, sweetened with, uh, I believe they use stevia and just no no fillers, no anything. It's just straight protein, and you can get it in any. You can design a blend pretty much. It's a great website. Very nice, very nice. Do you use creatine? I, I do supplement creatine, not for the the muscle benefits and the storing of uh, creatine in the body. I actually use it for the the cognitive uh, reason that has recently been shown in a few papers. So that's that's something that I'm glad you said because a lot of people don't realize that because, I mean, it's funny, man. Like you think of creatine back in like high school when when in the locker room people think you're taking steroids if you say you're taking creatine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas like now, now it's like that's obviously not the case. But um, that, that's the thing. Like it, it converts the ADP back into ATP in the muscles but also – in the brain and a lot of people don't focus on the cognitive enhancements that it provides and yeah just i i since i do eat a good bit of meat i I think it's what if you eat two pounds of steak that that's essentially the equivalent of five five grams of creatine supplemented i can't remember the exact conversion but danny talked about it one time but i i my one of my main focuses going forward is for brain health and that's that's probably if i had to pick one reason why i follow the type of diet we do is because the cognitive effects I've noticed, especially being somebody who's suffered from 10 concussions. I want any cognitive benefit I can get. 100% man. Do you, can you tell, like, can you like have a tangible effect on the creatine cognitively? Like, can you, can you notice when it's in there? I personally, no, I can't notice, but it, it's a tried and true supplement. You can't, it's, it's what the most researched supplement on earth. So I, I don't really see a negative effect of supplementing it. And just I, all around I that that would be something I continue to do. Yeah, I think. See, I need to work on that, man, because I, I know the research is there. I know it's 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 sound. I just it's it's hard. It's it's not a, an acute enough difference for me to be able to like pick up on and feel. So I'm lazy with taking it. But I, I think creatine is kind of like one of those things where it's it's the continual compounding effect of taking it more so than any one given moment. You know. Yeah, because I've even when I first started using it, I never really noticed anything. It was more just the I, I think it helps long term, but I just it, the research is too sound to not use it, even though I probably haven't really noticed any effects. Yeah, for sure. What about um, uh, any other things that you use? Any other supplementation or branch chain amino acids or anything like that? I, I have, I used to be very against amino acids and branch chain amino acids just because I'm a, I'm a firm believer in just eat, eat, eat your protein. And food, but uh, as mm-hmm. of re- as of recently, I di- I might get back into using them. Just if if I want to do, if I wanted to like add them in, ex- specific specifically just leucine, not not really focusing, mm-hmm. not ro- really focusing on isoleucine or valine, but like I I might begin to supplement them again. But a- as of the last eight eight years, I have not I have not really used any. I could see them being advantageous. Like I'll use them. Uh, exclusively when I'm in the last leg of a contest prep because then my protein is low, so I'll use it then, but I don't think there's any need to use it, uh, especially when you're in a caloric surplus or in a building phase. I mean, I think you're getting enough through your nutrition from an amino acid standpoint. Yeah, I definitely think like in a deficit and on a, a very rough, harsh diet, I, they, they can be beneficial. But if we're, if we're talking about somebody who's who is trying to grow and, what, and like bulk up and you're eating – a good amount of protein, I don't really see a need because I'll get around 250 to 300 grams of protein just from meat some days. So I, I don't really see a, how any extra leucine would help me. 300 grams of protein on meat? I on my on my bigger days, uh, yes. I I, I work for uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I just have, I have pretty long work days, so like I'll I'll down around two to two and a half three pounds of meat, and there's just. And then around six to six to ten eggs a day, and then that'll it'll add up pretty quick. What is your fat ratio? Uh, I'm trying to get, to imp- improve the fat ratio because I do notice when I have I have found that upper limit of protein too fat because <laughs> you you just yeah I don't really mm-hmm. feel, I I don't feel too good. And at first I thought like oh that's not possible like protein's protein, but uh, I'll 
on most days I average probably 250 grams of protein to uh, 250 to 300 grams of fat. Okay, yeah, I think I think as long as you're at least at a one to one ratio, you won't really start just feeling bad. I don't necessarily think that's feeling optimal, but I don't think it's bad, um, at least for me. But once I dip below that, so that my protein's higher than my fat, I definitely start to notice a decline in performance and just cognitive enhancement. Yeah, there, there's been a couple of days where like I was using some leaner meats and and I I'd finished off some chicken and whatnot, and that though those days I did not feel the the sharpest for sure. So what about uh what about food, man? I'm curious because you you probably coming from a you know traditional bodybuilding background of eating six seven meals a day, um every two and a half three hours. Are you? I'm assuming that's definitely not the case now. So you're just eating huge serving sizes, but less frequently. I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I'm a I, I like the fast and feast approach. So like I'll have my mm -hmm. I'll have my breakfast most days, which would be anywhere from fifteen hundred to like twenty five hundred calories, and then I'll have I'll probably have another meal, and then if I really want at night, it'll just be like a, a light couple eggs. But I, I try not to eat too close to bed, as I, I've noticed it interferes with my sleep and uh, increases my body temperature a little bit. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So I want to talk. You, you mentioned before that you put about three quarters of an inch on your arms. Um, since being keto, what are some other like tangible numbers that you can throw out there that people listening can can grasp and be like, okay, wow, that's a significant improvement from what it was when he was eating carbohydrates? Because I don't know, man, like the, people are just blind to the fact that performance can actually improve once you incorporate keto. And and you and I both coming from a you know bodybuilding style training program, it's it's good to throw numbers that that people can grab a hold of. Yeah, just I I have had so when I first started, I had so many people telling me like, "Oh, you're gonna get weaker. You're not gonna be able to grow. You're not gonna be able to like hypertrophy can't happen without carbs because insulin is oh so important." But I uh, just I, I've put on about three quarter inch of my arms. Uh, the definitely some improvements in chest because I've I don't really need to improve my legs. If you go to my Instagram and see some pictures, you'll you'll notice the legs. So I, I've really been trying to put on a good bit of upper body. Uh, but the strength-wise, my front squat, I've gotten from 405 when I was on a carb diet to last time I maxed out was four, a 475 front squat. Uh, I've deadlifted six. 475 front squat? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And, and I've deadlifted 600 pounds. Uh, on a ketogenic diet and a non-ketogenic diet, and I've hit in the the mid fives, upper fives on just regular back squat following a ketogenic diet. So and benches, I've I've hit a three 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 hundred twenty pound bench on ketogenic diet. So there is de you definitely can be just as strong eighty, and even if you want to go the route that like you you it's it's harder to train. Just lower lower your rep ranges and work more sets of two to three so you're 100 percent staying at atp pc where in like during your working sets but i i will directly interject to anybody who says like you can't get stronger or bigger on a ketogen diet so what um what what, what are the the goals going for are you, are you putting an emphasis on doing another show you said you kind of had the desire to do another one ketogenic or are you wanting to kind of go i mean you've got some pretty impressive numbers man i mean you could like go powerlifting. I, the problem with me for powerlifting, the, the training is pretty boring. Like I, I've never enjoyed it. And yeah. I, I, I love the, the bodybuilding training, just going there pretty much. I, it, it, it's an art. Like you get to sculpt how you look. That, that was originally how like I got hooked. When you originally see your body change the first, uh, first couple of months of lifting, which happens very quickly because the, the newbie gains, but like, just yeah. that that process is addicting to me and be able to, to shape and change how my body looks. So I definitely would say I'll probably do another show in the next year, year or two. And just, but currently I'm just, I'm shooting for a 500 front squat. I, fa I failed a couple of weeks ago, so we're almost there, but mainly, mainly more so just focusing on uh, education at the moment. With, with this, is, this is just me asking out of curiosity. When you do your front squats, do you hold the bar like cross arm or do you like, Flip your wrist back. I I have to do cross arm because I had a pretty significant wrist surgery in high school. So like I I hold it cross mm -hmm. cr cross arm like Ronnie Coleman style. 
That's how it is, man. I've never had a wrist injury, but I don't know how people have the flexibility to twist their wrist that far back. I can't do it. Yeah, like when I do uh, power cleans and hang cleans, I can get in the front rack position, but I can't seem to do it on heavier front squats. It just it tear it tears up my elbows. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, this? Is just another personal question out of my curiosity, but my chest is my lagging, my most lagging body part, in my opinion, hands down, no questions asked. What have you done? training-wise, exercise-wise, that, that you found to contribute to the most growth in your chest? Uh, chest, that, that's another one that I've, I've had to, I increased the frequency to about, I, I average probably two and a half times a week now. And mm-hmm. just actually, surprisingly, just I, I try to stay away from barbell bench just because to, to save my, have some banged up shoulders from, in, from high school football and uh, snowboarding incident. But just a mm-hmm. lot, a lot of dumbbell work for me has been pretty, uh, pretty significant, as well as just focusing on the the actual. Instead of just going through the motions and pushing the weight, like how you train more powerlifting style and fo- like, just th- that's my favorite thing about powerlifting to bodybuilding. Powerlifting, you want to be efficient as possible. Bodybuilding, you want to be more so inefficient. Like you want to make it as hard as possible while you're taking it through a full contractile range of motion, as compared to powerlifting, where you want to have the shortest range of motion and kind of have it advantageous like levers in the lift. So just a lot, a lot of focus on actual contraction for me has been a pretty, pretty big thing as long as, as well as a higher volume and frequency. It's a really good point, man, especially with chest. Cause like if you, if you don't do chest properly, then you can incorporate pretty much every other body part on you to get that weight up and actually complete the, the movement from point A to point B, but you can you can do a like you can do a bench press, throw some weight up there, and never once really activate your chest. So I mean, it, it's that muscle group in particular. I think is probably the most mistrained body part. I think maybe maybe that or squats. I don't know. It'd be hard to tell, but I think with squats, even if you have bad form, like you're still going to be firing a bunch of legs to get the the weight up. Whereas with chest press, I mean, you can literally weasel your way, way around the muscle pretty easily. Yeah, it you can you could barbell bench and pretty much and use little li, a, only a little bit of chest. But like if you if we really want to focus on growing the pecs, then I, I prefer uh, more assistance work than actual just bench pressing. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Like a like a fly or or dumbbell press more so you think? I do more uh, dumbbell press and actually I I have a really I get really good contractions with a machine press at and and. Mm-hmm. A, and if I'm gonna do a fly, I I prefer cable because the if we're if we're looking at the leverages on a dumbbell fly, like you're only really hitting about half the range of motion unless you're doing a banded dumbbell fly, which would kind of give you the the full uh, uh, strength curve. But like I, I definitely prefer cable work if I'm doing flies. I totally agree, man. We we are um we're building out our own gym right now at the warehouse, mm. and we have just free weights right now, so we've got. You know, barbells, dumbbells, plates, uh, squat rack, et cetera, et cetera. But that's it. So we've been training in that solely for the past couple months now, which I really have enjoyed. I don't even feel like I'm missing anything except the cables for exactly what you just said, like the flies and the movements like that, in which case the the leverage points are such that once you pass a certain threshold, the weight completely transfers to another muscle group or your skeletal structure and leaves the muscle that you're trying to train high and dry. And you can't really accomplish that to the extent that you can with cables so i'm excited i ordered some cables i ordered like a cable crossover machine man i'm I'm stoked to get that back in in my wheelhouse yeah majority of my arm training is actually cable i, I don't do a lot of uh free weight especially for triceps like i i will prioritize a cable over anything 100 percent, 100 percent. so so tell me about kind of kind of what you have going for man like what's to come with the with the education the master's degree the phd like what are you what is the end goal i guess I end goal. Uh, just I, I graduate in. I finish my master's degree in August, and I'm applying to a couple schools for PhD programs. So end goal would be to be a. I, I'd like to go into research, even though I, I definitely wouldn't look like a the research type, because ha- having like, yeah. having a background in sports and strength and conditioning and personal training, I I've never really enjoyed personal training unless like I get to pick who I want to work with. Just having working as a personal trainer and like a public gym and having clients who it's it's hard to get me to want them to care so that was just that was just a struggle for myself and then also just 
my personality type, I'm more of a reserve introvert than I am an extrovert. So that doesn't really go hand in hand with a strength coach, even though I have like my CS, mm -hmm. my CSCS and the certification for that. Just I, I would prefer much prefer to work in a, a lab and do research for a, a institute or a university and be a professor. That's that's very admirable, man. I think research based approach is, I don't know, like that. Being on the cutting edge of anything is just exciting. Like when you know that you're working on something that there is no answer for yet. That's that's where that's where the excitement starts. Exactly, and I, I my my main goal would be is to look at a uh, metabolic disease and uh, issues such as like type two diabetes, mm -hmm. type two diabetes, obesity. Uh, uh, this one may be controversial, but uh, Alzheimer's because that commonly referred to as type three diabetes. But like I. That mm -hmm. is that is where my interest lies, like learning the mechanisms behind everything and figuring out the why and how we could possibly benefit and help us help people. That's that's that's. I mean, you can't go wrong there, man. I think if you've got the right intentions, the the hearts there. I mean, that's where a lot of improvements and progress can be made and have a you know exponential effect on so many people's lives. So, I, I full support you there for sure. <laughs> well, thank you. What? Uh, I mean, you, you've got a lot of, you know, professional schooling, but you've also got a lot of, I'm assuming like a lot of these certifications have, have not come directly to the university, right? Or, or have they? Uh, no, the, the two ones I have right now, one, one's just a National Academy of Sports Medicine certified personal trainer. And then the other one that's a little mm -hmm. bit, a little bit bigger is the uh, NSCA uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist. Have you liked those programs? Like, were they worth the money? Um, that, that's a tough one. If, if we're being, if we're being honest, e, no, but what you can do with a CSCS, if you want to go into coaching, it's kind of necessary to have, but did I learn that much from it? No, not at all. M more of it's been through school and through my own research than getting like an official certification, but having a certification is uh, crucial if you want to work in that field, essentially. Yeah, it's I've got a certification. I don't even remember what what uh, organization I used because it's been so long. But I don't even mark the fact that I have it because I don't feel like people care. Um, they they care more about what what you can do with with that knowledge. And most of mine's come from like just self learning and and just research, you know. But with with what you know now, if somebody was to you know want to make a move towards strength conditioning coaching or I mean just simply learning human anatomy and musculature, where would you point them? I, a, to start just a, a, an anatomy book, if, if you can, if you know the anatomy, the skeletal, skeletal structure, the muscular structure, musculoskeletal system, and you know the, the function of everything, it, you can pretty much piece together some training just with that background knowledge, as well as the, the NSCA book is a, it's a pretty good book. If like you, if you want to, if you're a beginner and want to get into training, it does co co like cover some advanced topics, which I had the benefit of doing a lot of, a lot of schooling before I took the test. But just, I would definitely just read as much as possible, research as much as possible, and also uh, trial and error. Like I, I've learned more from what I've done personally for the last ten years of lifting than I did I ever will in a textbook. Hundred percent agree with you on that one, man. You gotta get it in there and put in the work and feel the muscle work instead of read about it yeah like you can you can know all the book stuff you want but if you can't apply any of it it means it means nothing could not agree more well gosh man look i want to be appreciative of your time here um where, where can people go to find out more of you uh may i'm pretty active on instagram just uh the handles uh at christian.unger13 and just i do have a twitter but I'm, I'm not really active on that very cool very cool i'll uh i'll link out to that too so people can jump on there and watch you squat 405 for 17 reps like you did yesterday <laughs> yeah that they, if anybody wants to watch a good video and get a laugh watch that last rep it was pretty rough <laughs> love it man pushing the envelope that's what you got to do oh real quick i got one more question because i'm gonna regret not asking this one speaking of that overtraining what's your take on overtraining oh that's another controversial one um i I have a, a, I'm more one-sided on this. I, I think it's more of an under recovering when, when I go super high calorie and I'm, I'm rec like putting down six to 8,000 calories and I'm sleeping eight, eight to nine hours, prioritizing training and like limiting the, I, when I was 
like when I was heavier and really focused on strength, trying to get as big as possible, I would limit how much I would walk in between classes. I would park as close as possible to not interfere with the walking and what I was about to work later, which would be legs. So like, I, I think it's more mm -hmm. of an, I think it's more of an under recovering than an overtraining, but I have seen people overtrain and I've definitely, I've overreached, but I would never say I've reached in Like I've been to an overtrained state and just a f functional overreaching is, cru is crucial for progressing. I totally completely agree, man. I get so tired of hearing people say that they shouldn't train because they feel like they're going to overtrain, but they don't train hard in the first place. So the body is capable of so much more than, than people give it credit for. Hey. And I think putting an emphasis on recovery is, is key for sure because you're not going to overwork the body really. Yeah, it, it, unless you're an Olympic athlete and you're training two to three times a day, it's, it's going to be pretty hard to overtrain. And unless you're under recovering, I, I prioritizing recovery the last two years for me has been crucial for progress. How much, um, how much sleep are you averaging a night? I, I hit about seven and a half to eight. Just whenever I go above eight, it, the, the return on investments low, I don't really notice anything, but if I get anything under seven, I can tell immediately in the gym, in life and just day to day. See, I need to definitely work there. I feel like my training, I feel like I could definitely get away with less sleep now on keto than I could when I was eating carbs, but I feel like my strength and conditioning and just overall performance would definitely improve if I got more than the four and a half hours of sleep that I'm averaging currently. Yeah, no, I, I see your Instagram stories and you, you're up at 4 a.m. I'm like, I don't, don't know how you're doing that because if, if I go anything less than seven, I, I can't function. Yeah, seven, seven hours is my sweet spot for sure. I just rarely get it and then I get mad because I know that it's going to impact my training negatively but uh, I'll, I'll work on that <laughs> <laughs> I, sleep well, awesome man yeah sleep sleep's huge man I didn't mean to catch you off there it's uh I pick people and myself I'm guilty of this but like you have this you know rock star mentality where you just can keep going and keep going and eventually it catches up with you and after a couple of days of training with little sleep, I can I can tell instantly that my body's been overextended. Yeah, and just so many people like uh, the the sleep when you're dead mentality and not prioritizing sleep. I think is stupid. I, I'm much more productive when I have a full amount of sleep than the extra hour or two I'd get if I skip the sleep. So I I will I will prioritize prioritize sleep over anything else. Yeah, I think that's that's words of wisdom for sure, man. I'm gonna. I don't know how I'm going to, but I'm going to figure out a way to make sleep come into, come into a little higher priority <laughs> it, than it is. It, I, I know you're right. It, it takes commitment. I expect, and what's really important and a lot, of, a lot of research going into now is just like sleep hygiene, like what you do before bed leading up to bed, and then s certain supplementation leading up to bed when you should eat prior to bed. There's just, there's so much going on regarding like circadian rhythm and clock that like it sleeps, sleep's crucial. That, that's as simple as that. I just got the aura ring because I'm. I wanted to see. I, I've got a sleep tracking pad, but the aura ring will be good because it is. I think probably going to be more accurate than that is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like the biggest kick in the butt for me is just going to constantly be uploading my, you know, screenshots of my dashboard and just seeing that red line for sleep. And between every between seeing that and everybody telling me you're not sleeping enough, I'm eventually just going to get pissed off. And, okay, I'm sleeping more now. That's <laughs> yeah, my motivation. The if if anybody wants to really look at sleep, the Aura Ring hands down is the best thing out there right now. I'm I'm about to put in an order, and knowing your HRV and the other numbers that the Aura Ring can provide, it, it it's fantastic if you love data. Do you think you'll base your training off of the HRV data? Like if you wake up and you you got a a poor HRV reading. Are you going to restructure your planned routine for the day based off of that? One hundred percent, because I I basically do that now. I do it like I don't I don't have data for it, but I'll do perceived recovery and like where where I think I'm at. Where like if I'm feeling like a seven of ten, I'd be like, all right, that's a that's a day to day. I can go in and put in my normal amount of volume, but I'll also like vary like how much the volume and intensity. I'll change it based on how I feel. But if I had when I do get the aura ring and have the HRV data, I will directly use that as pretty much the indicative measure of how hard how hard and the, the amount of volume i'll put in into the gym see i I'm, I'm bad about that man because i feel like for me if i wake up and see a, a poor hrv reading then it's like it's obviously not a placebo but i feel like if i can just you know not put so much weight in that then i can mentally get through whatever i need to and and actually perform better for it like i feel like if i wake up i have a poor hrv reading 
and I should, you know, quote unquote, skip legs or whatever high intensity workout that day, then I'll I'll just be so mad that I wind up going harder. And this is totally not good. Here's my here's my whole dilemma with bodybuilding, man. In a nutshell, this is my dilemma. I know that you know I should sleep better and I should I should train based off of my recovery and et cetera, et cetera. Like looking at the technical aspect of it, that's what I should do. But for me, like the the mental high that I get from knowing that I'm pushing my body beyond what it should mm-hmm. is like almost, if not definitely more worth it to me than the the physical benefits I would get if I did it the right way. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred. Anybody, if anybody's into bodybuilding and that like mindset and determination in the gym, you're inevitably going to be somewhat like that because I'm I'm the same way. Like if I had a poor HRV score and I was HRV score and I was really excited to squat that day, I'm still going to go in and squat. But like it, it would it would be tough to vary my training based on that just because the like you said, the high and the feeling you get in the gym of a productive day and the, the feeling after it, it can't be beat no matter no matter what the ring is telling me how, how well I should perform that day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm excited, man. Like you you got you got a lot of similarities here. I'm I'm gonna be spending some time in Tampa this year. I wanna come get a workout in with you. Oh, sounds good. It, it, between all the people here, they they would it could definitely be a great workout. <laughs> Yeah, man, we'll have to we'll have to have like a little meetup training session. You know, get Danny, you, myself, and we'll just ramble up some other people and and have like a deadlift slash squat party. I I'm 100 percent for that, and just that I I'd love that. Like, but between squats and deadlifts, that those are my two favorite things in the gym. I I hate benching. Yeah, well, shoot, we got that in common too, man. So <laughs> count me in. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Christian, again, man, I really appreciate the time and. uh Well, definitely keep in touch. I'll let you know when I'm in the area. And anything I can do for you, just let me know, man. Sounds good. Thank you for having me on. You bet. See you, bud. See you.